This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. It's the Blood Red podcast, courtesy of the Liverpool Echo. I'm Guy Clark. Thanks for downloading and joining us here on the agenda. Today, we'll be talking Mohamed Salah's contract demands, Gareth Southgate's Trent Alexander-Arnold experiment. Plus, we'll be digging deeper into the Reds' financial model and looking at more of the fallout from the lack of transfer activity during this summer. To analyse and evaluate all of that, we have three squ- three screens squires, Theo Squires, who's got his big headset on the, uh, today here on the Blood Red podcast, Dan Kay, and also offering some much-needed expertise, our business of football writer, Dave Powell. Gents, I hope you're all well. Theo, I'll throw over to you first after trying to butcher the uh, gag at your expense there in the <laughs> intro. I hope you're keeping well. And the first thing to talk about today is Mohamed Salah and these contract demands of what we read over the weekend were half a million pounds a week he's after. I can tell it's the international break, can't it? With you with your cobwebs here, not able to get your lines out <laughs> right. Should be on the beach or something, mate. Um, it should have been, yeah. <laughs> with Salah, it's one of those where 500k a week, it seems excessive for Liverpool, doesn't it? But you think, what's Kevin De Bruyne on at City? What's Cristiano Ronaldo now on at United? What's Messi on at Barcelona? Mbappe, Neymar. These are the fees that big players are getting at big clubs. And I know we've had the report that's rubbish that it's half a million wage demands. And it's one where Liverpool have done all their business and these contract extensions. And it's what, the 200k mark roughly for the highest earners. They've done really well to get like Virgil van Dijk on that wage, for example. When you think, well, these players, if they were going to the cities, the PSGs, they could ask for a lot more. So you can see why that figure's come out there. But then Salah doesn't really strike me as this greedy sort of player that just chases the millions. He just wants to win as many trophies as he can and score as many goals as he can. Like every single interview, even the ones he was doing in the Spanish media last year, where he was almost flirting with Barcelona and Real Madrid, but then flirting with a new contract at Liverpool as well. It was still about winning trophies. It was still about scoring goals and being this great, successful footballer. It's like, does it really matter if he's picking up 200k a week or 300k a week or 400k a week? He's still one of the wealthiest players in the Premier League. And, it's going to be agent tactics, isn't it? You're going to have these sort of exchanges where it is probably the hardest deal for Liverpool to conclude. Like you think of all the deals they've negotiated, it seems to be relatively straightforward. The only one they've had a the little hiccup with is Jordan Henderson because of his age, because of the length of the contract and what he's worth. But they've come, they've sorted that out. They let Genie Wijnaldum go. They're not going to let Mohamed Salah go. They're not going to let him run that contract down. And Salah knows his status in this squad. He should be the highest earner in it. He's seen Virgil van Dijk go above his wage now. He's seen Thiago come on level sort of terms to him. He'll want that new status. When Liverpool had such a poor season at times last year, he was a huge part of the reason they got third. He knows how important he is to this team. And that'll be why he'll be asking for a hell of a lot of money. But 500k, that's probably a bit much. But it's one of those we'll see. Like it's never as simple and black and white as that, is it? It's not a case of there's your half a million. That's what you take home. It's all your bonuses as well. How much does he pick up when Liverpool win? How much does he pick up when Liverpool um, when he scores? When Liverpool win a trophy? It's far more complicated than that. And I'm sure Dave's going to offer far more insight on it than I ever could. But yeah, Salah's contract will seem like a harder one to do, especially when he's got such an outspoken Asian who wants to uh, comment on it left, right, and centre. But it's just politics, isn't it? Trying to get the best deal for his client, for the best deal for Liverpool and see what happens going forward. But when not many teams can afford these rates at the moment, 
it's very hard for him to see him actually getting a big transfer unless he runs that contract down. So it will eventually sign, you'd like to think. I, I take Theo's point there, Dan, but in terms of, yes, Mohamed Salah wants to be in the best place to win trophies and Liverpool, more than anyone, probably are set up to, to be that kind of club. But equally... He wants to be paid the going rate of the top players, does he not? And has a right to be able to be getting his agent to try and negotiate the best deal for him, wherever that may be. Well, yeah, and and looking at his age, you know, he's 29 now. So this probably is the last big contract that he will be negotiating for, you know, what could be the peak years of his career. As Theo said, though, he, he doesn't, you know, everything we know about him, uh, the way he carries himself, his religious beliefs, his, you know, his his public persona, does not strike you as someone that would be just chasing the book and wanting to be the bit, you know, the the highest paid player in the, at the club, in the you know, in the league, in European football or whatever. I I do wonder if um, you know, I, I, what Theo touched upon, it, you know, part of this may well be part of the dance in, in terms of his his agents. Is, is concerned and what you said then about you know we all like to think and, and the general impression we get is that Salah's primary motivation is winning trophies now two you know two years ago without question Liverpool were as good an option even a year 18 months ago as good an option as as wing as as being in contention for the biggest trophies that Liverpool supporters want to see them win I'm not saying that they're not in contention for those now however as we know a lot of the big clubs around the Premier League and around Europe have strengthened considerably. Liverpool haven't. If there is some kind of doubt in 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 Salah and his agent's mind that maybe they don't feel Liverpool are going to be quite as as competitive this season, next season, the season afterwards, then possibly this could be part of a tactic to help to kind of help engineer an exit strategy. You know, ask for too much money, knowing that Liverpool would never agree to five hundred. And then that kind of puts it, that kind of changes the complexion of everything and makes Liverpool maybe start to consider would they start to look for offers for him rather than having him walking away for free? I agree with what with what Theo said. I'm sure I, I would be very, very surprised if the figure in question was 500, but it may well be upwards of two, 253. And this is obviously a very, very delicate situation that Liverpool are going to need to handle with an awful lot of care because. As we've as we've said on numerous occasions over the last year to eighteen months, eventually they are going to have to break up this front three who are all twenty nine now. But realistically, who you know who is going to pay top money for Salah in terms of a transfer fee, in terms of his contract and everything else? Um, and Liverpool don't want to be letting Liverpool don't really want to get themselves embroiled in a game of brinkmanship here, and 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 for all of a sudden to be reaching the point certainly in January, but particularly this time next year when he'd be one year away from the end of the, the end of his contract, where all of a sudden they find themselves pushed into a corner. So it's all a bit of smoke and mirrors, isn't it? And no one really knows what's going on behind the scenes apart from those directly involved. But um, you would hope that Liverpool would look to get this tied down as soon as possible because of because the nature of, of, of Salah and his, his astonishing impact since he's come to Liverpool means that the longer this drags on, the more it could become a problem for Liverpool. Yeah, Dave, you're the man who keeps the 
an eye on the accounts for us at the Echo regarding Liverpool. Great to have you with us here on on today's podcast. And I feel your expertise is going to be very much needed. I, I'm sure it probably won't just me, be me throwing questions your way as well as we as we go on. But in terms of how Liverpool have systematically through the course of the summer done these contract renewals, do you think it's it's kind of no surprise that they've sorted out the goalkeeper, a lot of the defensive and midfield players, and now? getting towards Salah, kind of isolating that negotiation because it is going to be a real key one for them. Yeah, they've gone through the, the kind of the spine of the side, haven't they? Um, and I think the, the most taxing, the most difficult one to get over the line is the one that they still have in play at the moment, which is obviously Salah. Um, there's a few things, and, and both Dan and Theo have touched on them. And I think the biggest thing in the market, if, if FSG, or we'll, we'll just say Liverpool now, but obviously it's, it's ultimately it's FSG who, who are making the decisions here. It's... Um, in terms of where the money goes and, and, and is spent, um, I think if they have an issue with uh, whether or not they were going to get this deal over the line, then they would have made a play to try and move him on this summer when there were actual um, people in play in the marketplace. Um, obviously, PSG have done their business. Just just looking at it, I don't think he goes to anywhere in the Premier League, anywhere else. I, I, I think that money now is being spent. The clubs where he could possibly land, I mean, do, do would Chelsea make a play for him? I don't know whether that that kind of fits in with with what their next move would be because um, they'd be taking another cumbersome contract um, for a player who's twenty nine years old. Um, United have already done their business. Would he fancy a return to Chelsea after how he was how it panned out there last time? No. Would uh, Bayern Munich in the Bundesliga they can spend money? Would he finish his career in the Bundesliga? Does he is that more kudos than winning trophies in the Premier League? I'd say no. And then obviously you've got Barcelona who can't spend money, and that's that's every transfer window in, since the year dot. You always expect the main players to be Barcelona and Real Madrid. Um, now for me, that whole Kylian Mbappe thing was bluster for this summer. Um, I think they already knew that PSG weren't selling uh, <clears throat> Mbappe to them, so um, it's a great PR stunt in terms of. Offer some money, it looks like we're still at the table, but in reality, they're not. I don't see how he improves his chances of winning trophies with either of Barcelona or Real Madrid at present, unless he's wanted to try and win La Liga. I don't think either of those teams come close to winning the Champions League this year. Um, and then you're looking at PSG, who've just added um, arguably the greatest player that's ever played football, um, and about six or seven other stars. I mean, they've still got room to manoeuvre, but if we're talking about a £500,000 contract, they haven't got the wiggle room to be able to... I mean, it took them some accounting um, theatrics, I suppose, to, to try and get the messy deal done. Um, how you try and square another £500,000 on top of, uh, it, of of your own wage bill that you've got now, I don't see how it happens. So my feeling is that all this is... Um, it's like agency. Agents are bluster. The whole thing is, you know, there, there is, there's a seed planted somewhere and it drives the marketplace up or it, it brings out those who might have an interest. Um, but ultimately, I I think we all know that Liverpool aren't going to spend £500,000 on, on, on wages um, for a player. It, it absolutely blows the very structured wage um, payroll bill at, at Liverpool out of the water. I mean, because your top earners are all roughly on around the same amount um and and that's you know the way the way it should be i fi- i think i find it's hard to believe that they would increase his wages by 300,000 pounds knowing that he's going to ha- have his best years passed we don't know yet he's 29 um you're going to be offering a five year deal to someone who's going to be in his 30s by the time uh, it runs out uh, the value is going to decrease every year 
Um, but on the flip side of that, I think that um, his agent has probably cottoned on to the fact that given Liverpool's lack of transfer spend in this window and the um, kind of unrest among uh, some fans, that they will know that Liverpool will need to pay more to keep him um, to avoid some kind of fallout because ultimately they lose Salah and don't add anyone um, or, or they resign to losing Salah, then um, the whole mood flips again, doesn't it? Um, so, yeah, it, it's a very delicate situation, but it's one that I just don't see him placed anywhere else. Um, if it's about winning trophies, I, I'd argue in terms of where he's going to play, where he's going to actually get paid roughly what he wants and where he's going to have a chance of winning something, it's probably Liverpool's best bet. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. I know transfers are a hot topic at the moment. Whilst we are recording, we're live on, on YouTube and Facebook. If you have any questions you want to put to us, do comment away in the comments section. We'll try and get to some of them. But Theo, given what Dave said there in terms of you, you wouldn't let Salah go into the final two years of his contract unless you were confident you'd get a renewal done because otherwise you get to, to 12 months away and all of a sudden his transfer fee would be far lower. I suppose on the other hand as well, from... Mohamed Salah's agent's perspective or even even the whole model for Liverpool this is a crucial one to get done to then maybe unlock the spending once more to say hey come to Liverpool come and play with Mohamed Salah at the moment it's uncertain as to whether he will definitely be there beyond his his, his current deal I suppose the market's very different to what we're used to because players are having to see out their contracts now it's not a case of club's been able to afford the big transfer fees that normally command because of the pandemic and everything. The fact that we're seeing Mbappe probably seeing out his contract, like when he joined PSG for that ridiculous fee, would anyone have predicted he will leave them on a free transfer? You thought that fee would be broken again. Like clubs can't afford these big transfer fees and players are going to have to see out their deals if they want to get this next big move. And it kind of feels like they're just going to have to replace each other at these clubs. So like the clubs that Dave's just mentioned there, well, Messi, what, he signed a two-year deal, I think, was it? Well, if he's out of contract 2023, Salah's out of contract in 2023, it would be logical for PSG to say, oh, fine, we can go and get him on a free transfer there if that was something that Salah wanted to do. And then you look at Bayern Munich, well, Lewandowski, he wants to move on. He might have to see out his contract. It's like, well, what do Liverpool do here? Because these clubs aren't going to be able to afford anything big on a transfer fee for Salah. So they, we've seen them in the past. Liverpool don't sell just because they have to, because the players running out of contracts. They realise how much it will cost to replace these players. So they've let Wijnaldum go on a free. They let Emre Chan go on a free because they're very happy to get the best of their services for that final year. But it is a completely different stratosphere with Mo Salah, isn't it? Like if you go into this conversation with Ronaldo or Chan, you're not going to be getting the fee that you could command for Mo Salah in a normal market. And this, well, if you give him a big contract to keep him, keep him happy, what's the effect going to be on it a few years down the line? Like Juventus, they've had to sell Cristiano Ronaldo this summer because they just couldn't justify that wage anymore. United thought, yes, we'll take him back. We'll give him that wage. Well, if he's not delivering them Premier Leagues and Champions Leagues every year, how long until that contract? They said, actually, we don't want to give him the full three years here. We, we can't justify it. Clubs get stung by these fees and it's just the market is very different at the moment. It's not what we're used to. You're having to predict these moves. It is going to be the player power sort of thing. It is very much in Mohamed Salah's hands here. It's like he can demand the sort of figure he thinks he can get or his agent can demand it and then it's how much do you want to stay at Liverpool win trophies at Liverpool or is it a case of you just replace one big gun at PSG and then they'll replace someone at Bayern Munich or Juventus and then you'd like to think well Real Madrid or Barcelona they might recover in a couple of years but granted 
Barcelona are still in financial trouble here. But at some point, they're going to get the uh, they'll get the finances recovered. They'll have the fans back in, and they're getting these players off the wage bill. Like we've seen them get rid of Messi, we've seen them get rid of Griezmann. Coutinho is going to go at some point. That long list is going to go, and the clubs are then going to have this big wage bill that's so much lower than before. So they can just go out and get it on free agents. So, so Liverpool got to be very careful with how they play it. Because if Salah wants to run down his contract, he could do it very easily. And they have been burnt in the past by players doing that. It is a scary thought, isn't it, Dan, of actually how much would it cost to even replace Mohamed Salah, whether that be wages or transfer fee as well. And it's been so smart and clever in, in how Liverpool targeted these kind of uncovered gems to get themselves to the top of the tree. But now they're one, now once they're there, they are going to have to pay the top dollar to keep them. Well, this is the problem Liverpool face in terms of, you know, the financial model that that FSG have been very clear pretty much from day one that this is how they're going to do things. And they haven't really veered away from that. And obviously, over the course of, particularly over the course of the last half decade, it's proven to be very, very successful. And I suppose inevitably that leads to some supporters that <clears throat> don't really probably care too much about the nuts and bolts of the business end of football and how business models and transfer structure and all the rest of it kind of work out. All they see is a player bought in for 35 million who's now worth 200 million. And if he goes, all they think, well, we need to go and buy another 200 million pound player to replace him. But that's not how Liverpool operates. And I don't see any chance of all, all of a sudden the Liverpool owners suddenly changing their, their MO, their modus, their modus operandi after all this time. So what that means is, you know, so there always is a certain element of, of, of gamble. You know, the, the the Liverpool front three all cost, rough, you know, roughly in the region in the region of twenty eight to thirty five million, all of whom obviously have gelled beautifully as as individuals and as a and, and as a trio, and obviously have helped you know provide this golden era for the club after you know years and years of waiting for a Premier League title and an European Cup. However. <coughs> It, it would take a brave man to predict them, to predict the owners all of a sudden saying, right, having done this, having having used this model and this method to get us to this point, we're all of a sudden going to throw it out and suddenly start spelling, spending £200 million on, on, an, on an, an Mbappe or a Haaland when that's just not how they've operated. Now, now, that won't be what a lot of supporters want to hear. But that is... I, I just can't see... I can't envisage any any scenario in which that's not how things play out for Liverpool. Um, particularly because, as, as uh, certainly I've mentioned a couple of times before, and I think a few people have over recent months and years, um, you know, financial fair play is not as effective as a lot of people would like it to be. And for the, you know, the oil-rich clubs like Manchester City, like uh, Paris Saint-Germain, obviously other clubs as well, like Chelsea and Manchester United, with the kind of wealth Liverpool do not have to operate at, they're operating. They're operating in a different financial stratosphere to, to what Liverpool are, and I, I, I've had this impression for quite a while from from FSG that once it's become clear to them that that financial fair play isn't really worth a carrot and isn't really going to be, isn't really going to clamp down on the spendings of of the petrodollar clubs, that 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 their effectiveness within that kind of marketplace has become reduced. So I think they're going to stick even closer to their model. And what we have to hope and pray for is that their effectiveness in finding these hidden gems, as you call them just before, Guy, the next Salah, the next Mane, the next Firmino, who, let's be honest, certainly with 
certainly with Firmino. I'd, but I'd it's very different, him. isn't it, though? It's very different once you're at the top to bring in a hidden gem who can immediately keep you there, as opposed Absolutely. to allowing them to develop and, and grow whilst you're on your way there. Because, because expectations have risen now yeah. as well, you know what I mean? Liverpool are expected to challenge for the title, the Premier League title and the Champions League every single season. And this is, you know, th- th- this point was always going to come, I think. And it's it's one of these that, you know, I think for some supporters, it's, it's a case of being careful what you wish for. As long as Liverpool, ha- Liverpool have these owners, this is how it's going to be. And what it means is that more often than not, because of the, the greater spending power of the, big, of the other clubs, we've got to pull a rabbit out of a hat more often than they do. And you can't, you know, you, can, you can't perform miracles every time. This is where, you know, the likes of Michael Edwards and the transfer committee and the recruitment has to be spot on. And you would hope that, you know, it, it's it's no secret that the three strikers have been getting older. You would hope that they've had some kind of plan in place for this. But what the answer, the long-term answer to it will be, time will, you know, time will only tell. My concern with the front three is, we're talking about Salah's contract and we can't go into the last two years, can't go into that last year. Well, aren't Firmino and Mane's contracts up in the same summer? And you've got Oxlade-Chamberlain and Naby Keita as well. Well, Keita and Oxlade-Chamberlain are players in that squad who maybe aren't challenging the starting eleven. you could see moving on. And think, well, who's going to buy them? Who's going to spend a good fee on them that Liverpool then can go and reinvest in the squad? Like, they're going to make a loss on Naby Keita. We, I think we can safely say that now. He is going to have to have the season of his life to get his value protected. But if he has the season of his life, he'll probably stay at Liverpool and earn that new deal. But then it's with the front three. Well, Salah's obviously the priority there. His performances throughout his career, uh, throughout his time at Liverpool, have ensured that. But then where does Mane come in the pecking order? Where does Firmino come in the pecking order? Like You can't really keep all three of them because they're going to be ageing. And then it's like, well, what do you do with them? They need to sell players to get the money back into the club to then go and buy someone else to free up the wages to go and buy someone else and reward other players. What are you players. saying then? We've got we've got this comment on, on screen from Peter who's got in touch and says, haven't seen that Firmino's getting a new contract. Do you think we should renew or sell? And I suppose what you're saying there is you can't keep all three of the front three as they are. Diogo Jota at the moment seems to have shown the most sign of, of breaking that trio and, and playing through the middle in Firmino's position. So what, with 18 months left on his contract, 12 months left on it, are you, are you thinking it's time to cash in, Theo? I, I don't think they can. <laughs> who is going to come and give them enough money to go and sign Roberto Firmino? It's the same for all of these players like Sadio Mane and Mohamed Salah. If someone wanted them, they could put in a decent bid. They'd get those players. They will attract interest. But it's not going to be anything for the figures you would have been talking about 18 months ago, two years ago. And it means like players like Oxlade-Chamberlain, Cater, Firmino, they're in this hard position here where you don't know where the interest is going to come from to get that transfer fee back into the club. So it's like, well, you have to just give them contracts to protect their value or you're going to run the risk of them going to the final 12 months of the deal and you're losing them for nothing. Liverpool are in a very dangerous position here because of the way the pandemic has turned out and what it's done to the transfer values and what injuries have done to these players. That it's like, well, These are the players you need to make way, for, you need to go for you to create space in the squad to reinvest elsewhere. But you're not going to get much for them. Like, what what could we say realistically? A club is going to go and bid for Roberto Firmino or Naby Keita at this point. Like we're going through these players here, Keita cost what fifty million. Oxley Chamberlain was thirty five. Firmino was twenty nine. They're, they're all going to go for a loss, aren't they? It's, you might get the money back in the wages because you're not going to give them pay rises or anything. 
but then you're going to still have to spend big. If like we see the comments here, go and get Mbappe, go and get Haaland when you let Origi go on a free. Well, that's someone else that they're not getting this money back in the club. Getting the wages in is only so much. It's not going to get in the transfer fees to go and get them this quality replacement. It is a very difficult position to navigate at the moment. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Dave, you've been listening in very, very astutely. And I suppose we, we saw today on, on Twitter, Swiss Ramble dropping a great long thread regarding kind of the animosity towards Liverpool's transfer activity this summer. Ibrahim Kanate, as we well know, the only player to have come in during the course of the summer. But a really fascinating thread that I know you've obviously looked through, poured through and examined that threw up a, a few things to me that I think is worth obviously noting. The player <coughs> trading model that Theo was there talking about, Liverpool don't run it of letting someone go for free and bringing in someone on a, a great big contract and great big fee. And, and also the wage bill. We've been talking there for, for 25 minutes or so about Mohamed Salah and a new contract for him. Now, the perception, certainly from myself, has always been Liverpool aren't the biggest wage payers, yet they are second only behind Manchester City in terms of the outlay on wages. Yeah, I mean, it's um, it, it's kind of a common misconception that the likes of United, uh, etc., pay far more. I mean, first and foremost, I mean, it's a great, fantastic thread that was from, from Swiss Ramble. And, and um, all, all those costs that you see are kind of inclusive of all staff and um, even down to your, your kind of the, the match day operators that come in on a part time basis um, during the season. Obviously, not going to have any of that for the next accounting period because there was there was stadiums were, were shuttered. So, um, but yeah, I mean, largely Liverpool's um, rise over the past, say, five years has been um, built upon success on the pitch. Um, they made kind of investment through better standard of players, um, reinvesting money from kind of 2016 onwards um, to the point where that raises your, your wage bill up. And also wages have risen across football as well. But um FSG kind of previously, like the Red Sox, have operated on this model whereby it, they, they like to incentivize contracts. Um, so it kind of promotes you know, strong performance on the pitch um, or in the baseball field or wherever you want to use the parlance. But um, what that does is it it kind of means that you I mean they, what they've effectively done, they spread the, the kind of the payroll across the club. So, I mean, there is a wage structure there. You look at it, so all the big earners earn roughly the same. I mean, it's a very harmonious squad, isn't it? And that's kind of something which has been really kind of the drum has been beaten by Jurgen Klopp in terms of squad harmony and, and, and making sure that all that that is kind of something which is boxed off. And with that comes people being rewarded for their own role within a, a team. Um, and there's no... You look at some clubs, there can be earners who are getting... You know, especially if you look at somewhere like Italy, so you could go to you know, Italian football. That's when Ronaldo was there, and, and someone who was playing alongside him in the eleven would likely be earning um, an absolute fraction of what he was on. Even that, you know, they're, they're doing effectively the, the the same job in ninety minutes. You know, obviously Ronaldo's you know is their task with scoring the goals, but ultimately not everyone's rewarded in a similar way. Um, but with incentivized contracts, means that if you do achieve success, then you're going to have to pay. So um, the wage bill rose um, considerably after the Champions League win um, because those figures were accounted through bonus payments um, into the into the accounts for the year ending May 2019. So that was rewarding success. So I don't know, I don't know how, in terms of how the breakdown is for individuals, what they get, but you would imagine that there are some, for winning... Club football's greatest prize, 
you imagine the bonuses are, are quite healthy. Um, and on the back of that, Liverpool then win the win the Premier League the year after. Now that hasn't been accounted for in uh, the most recent um, accounted period because the season was postponed due to COVID. So we're probably going to see that next season, and then we're going to see um, the likes of Jota and Thiago added to the wage bill. And Thiago wasn't a, an insignificant amount added to the wage bill either. That was um, it was kind of more of a, a deal to get worked into the the payroll than it was to actually pay the transfer fee and um, kind of masks how big of a deal that actually was financially for Liverpool um, and bringing Thiago on board because he is one of the club's highest earners uh, whereas the transfer fee kind of masks that as being just kind of a, a kind of middle of the road business for a good player um, so there's going to be more pain coming down the tracks for that and obviously you look at United and say why haven't you know United so low then there's a number of factors behind that it could be that they they're a, a real kind of discrepancy with how how well they pay their, their best performers and, and the rest of the squad um and also the fact that they've not been very successful on the pitch um so ultimately bonus payments have probably been few and far between i mean in reality if they would have missed out on the champions league um a couple of seasons in a row then they would have actually owed money back to adidas for um for kind of penalties in terms of not keeping up their end of the bargain so um and chelsea's success in the champions league hasn't been accounted for in, in these figures yet because obviously that occurred in the, the most recent period. Um, so basically you're looking at Chelsea haven't won the, uh, the Premier League since, when was it, 2017? Last time Chelsea yeah. won the Premier League. Um, Europa League, your bonuses for winning the Europa League, are, clubs are that into factoring that are going to be minimal um, because the the rewards aren't there financially for getting further in that far in the competition, so they'd be minimal. Whereas the rewards from the Champions League outstrip anything you could you could get anywhere else. So hence the reason why the players share in that pot. Um, but yeah, it's basically it's almost Liverpool have been punished for their own success on the pitch now because they've got this high wage bill. Um, and part of me thinks some some of what they've done in terms of offering these deals, obviously, is to protect value um, as far as you can. But I mean. I think for some of them, there's still money owed. So the likes of Van Dijk, there's still... Um, so to explain amortisation, it's basically, you know, a transfer fee appears in a club's accounts um, as a breakdown of what it's worth over five years. So say when Van Dijk signed to Liverpool for 75 million, you break that down over five years, that's 15, 15 million. So, um, by offering an extended contract, that means that the kind of the money has already been paid off that, but then you have another extra three years on top of that. So your accounts come down by half. So I think it's about seven and a half million that Van Dyke cost in Liverpool's accounts now, as opposed to the 15 he cost last year, um, if that makes sense. So there's an element of that. So it's a way of driving down some of the costs associated with the business on the balance sheet. Um, but ultimately, touching on kind of what Theo said before, I just think it's there's not much room for Liverpool to go anywhere. Um, and I think maintaining status quo is probably their best bet and hoping that the, the market kind of starts to correct itself but the problem they're going to have is that they are going to have to invest heavily um in two or three years time because maybe sooner than that i think as johan cruyff said you know many many moons ago that um you can't allow a team to grow all together there has to be um parts of it replaced on a on a regular basis um so the whole thing never crumbles but I'm, I'm, we were always under the assumption that would be the way liverpool operate but um, I think the pandemic has obviously stuck a spanner in the works and um, I think they feel like they need to maintain success as best they can now uh, and hope that they manage to 
you know, kind of the, the market corrects itself and they have some money to to reinvest. I think it's a it's a fascinating time, especially for Liverpool, because I, I, I genuinely not too sure how. Um, I don't think they know how they're going to play it just yet. I think it just seems to be a case of maintaining the status quo at the moment gives them the best chance of success, uh, and also is probably the best way forward for the balance sheet. Yeah, most definitely. So basically, just win the Champions League a couple of times and they'll be fine. That, that, I, I yeah, but then they've got big, big bonuses out to players in the wage <laughs> yeah, bill goes higher. Yeah, probably, so get to the final and lose. Because um, <laughs> it's it, the, win, the bonus for, for actually winning isn't um, isn't enormous. So, yeah, um, that that's I'm not going to anyone's mouth there. But, yeah, I, I just think it, that's why the Champions League was so important. I, I, I know we were talking, we've spoken previously about how not making the Champions League and, and people say, oh, it's going to be... That meant we'd be able to underpin all these signings and, and it'd mark a, bit, a big change in tact in the transfer window. But it's not. I think all it's done is allow them to tread water because otherwise they they would have been putting it into reverse and going backwards because um, it counts for so... I mean, it's 50 million straight away for qualifying for the Champions League. Whether you get beaten by Michelin, Malmo, all these teams in the Champions League, it makes no odds. It's, um, it's 50 million off the bat. And for a team like Liverpool, they'll be expecting... Um, I know they've been given a tough group, but... It, be expecting to kind of progress to the group stages and that then helps underpin the following year's business, et cetera, et cetera, and it makes them attractive to would-be players. But I just think it's a fascinating time for, for the football marketplace. But the different approaches from everywhere just makes me think that nobody really knows which way the, the wind is blowing at the moment. No, and it's really interesting, Dan, as well, when you, you then consider that yeah, maybe Liverpool are going to need to go big in terms of the transfer market. But when you look at the, the numbers since FSG took over in, in 2010, of the big six clubs, only Tottenham of a, with a net spend of £303 million are below Liverpool's 575. There have been, I suppose, spending sprees in the past, but it's always kind of been offset as well with the players being offloaded and moved elsewhere. Now, if nobody outside of the Premier League top six has the money, which seems to be the way things are going around European football right now, where are these players going to be offloaded to? Certainly, as we've already discussed, the ageing ones. And, and this, is the, this is the big problem. This is the big dilemma. Um, you know, reading through that that Swiss ramble thread this morning and, you know, I've had another look at lunchtime and you know, I have to be perfectly honest, some of the some of the financial terms and stuff in there is uh, I wouldn't claim to have a, a uh, you know anything like the kind of grasp on it that, that Dave has. Yeah, how's up to you, Dave, it, of knowing what all of those terms and everything <laughs> mean? Well, I'm just being <laughs> a bit process at all, <laughs> to be honest. But um, one one thing, you know, one of the one of the lines that did jump out at me is that you know <laughs> Liverpool's model, by and large, over the last few years has been uh, you know, and, and Liverpool's ability to kind of not not record losses by and large, has been taken up by their ability to sell players on. And, uh, you know, not 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 just the big ticket items like a Coutinho, obviously, the, the basically funded Van Dijk and Fabinho. But, but, but even, even even lower down the ladder where, you know, you know the likes of get, getting... How, how much did Liverpool get from Bournemouth for, for Solanke and... 19 million, was it, I think? Solanke and, Solanke, Solanke and, and there was about 15 million for Ibe as well. Yeah, I, and, yeah Brad yeah, Smith went for six, didn't he? Rian Brewster last yeah. summer to Sheffield United, yeah. 22, yeah. <laughs> yeah and, and, and that's what well, that's one area that Liverpool have been really quite effective at. Um, you know, the, until Trent, really, there hadn't really been anyone come through the academy into the first team since Steven Gerrard. And questions had started to be asked about, well, you know, what are all these millions being pumped into this academy actually 
producing for Liverpool, but it has managed to, you know, to turn over some reasonable numbers in terms of bringing decent young players in. A couple of them have kind of flirted with the first team and had a few games here and there, but by and large, they have that has been a reasonable revenue stream for them. No one predicted a pandemic. No one could ever have envisaged COVID and you know the long-term effects it would have on football finances. And they you know, might I think... not have, uh, uh, take take just up on that just slightly because I, I agree with you. No one could have predicted a pandemic, but a big thing with the pandemic is everyone is saying that market trends and whatnot are being accelerated a lot quicker than what they would have done. I mean, mm-hmm. the big six in the Premier League have been getting more and more a slice of the pie as, as time has been going on. And surely there was mm. going to come a point, regardless, where the rest of European football w- began to think, actually, how do we, we keep quite keep up? And obviously that, that came to a head with the, the European Super League idea, but surely eventually that kind of issue would have arose. The Arsenal fan here still pushing the big six. <laughs> Financially, mate. <laughs> Look at the revenue. <laughs> and the transfer spend this summer. Yeah. Well, in, 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 enjoy the open top bus tour for your revenue, for your revenue, whatever that comes <laughs> yeah. out. But um, yeah, it, it, uh, the bubble was the, the bubble was always going to burst. I mean, I, I say that you know as, as someone that's you know been a football supporter all my life and very much was in, you know involved in football fanzines and so on in the in the you know in the nineties and the early noughties when football started to change. And people people used to say about you know. The, the, the golden goose and, and the money coming into the game and eventually the bubble will burst. Well, you know, what is it, 30 years next year since the Premier League started? And it's still, well, it, it, it's bigger and greater and more rich than it, than it ever was before. So, you know, while other clubs, you know, other other leagues, other countries might have been trying to come up with, with plans and reasons as to how they could, they could close that gap, I don't really see any evidence that any of them really have. I mean, Real Madrid and Barcelona in many ways are kind of kind of separate entities on their own, really, aren't they? They're, they're their own kind of... I, I don't think you can really you can really put them in in terms of the overall trends around Europe. But the, the, the reality is Britain, you know, English football, the English Premier League, does seem to have this unslakeable appeal right around the world, particularly in the Far East. And obviously the clubs have become very, very savvy, very well-versioned in how to maximise that interest and how to monetise it. Um, to, to, and, and that's what's kept giving them this financial advantage, this competitive advantage above a lot of their rivals in, in other clubs. I think what, yeah, what are the, what are the other, the other you know, lines that kind of stuck out to me from Swiss Ramble was the fact that, you know, Liverpool, you know in terms of Liverpool's growth in, in terms of revenue, obviously it's been significant since Fenway came in and obviously they've, they've revitalised and really kind of made the commercial side of the club punch its weight in a way that it never did before. But the problem is a lot of that revenue growth has been eaten up by higher costs. And so it, so it, it ultimately it comes down to cash flow, doesn't it? And and a lot of a lot of Liverpool's wealth is still tied up in the assets that they've got. So it's it it, it, it does feel like everyone's stuck on a bit of a, a bit of a merry-go-round at the moment until Clubs, you know, a, a strata or two below Liverpool are able to start buying the kind of players from Liverpool and other clubs like Liverpool to get those kind of revenue revenues coming in. Clubs that are run on clubs that are endeavouring to, to run a type ship like Liverpool are just not going to have that spare cash. Whereas other clubs, your Cities, your Parises, in Chelsea, and United, to a certain degree, they're able to gamble financially in a way that Liverpool can't, or, or certainly Liverpool won't, 
whether they can or they can't, they won't because that's just not how they're going to do business. Right, so the take-home from today's podcast is get to the Champions League final and lose, then drop out the top four for a couple of seasons and allow one of the others to get in there so they get some money to buy the squad players to then go again. It's like football goes in, in cycles or, or something. Anyway, we're going to move on from all of that. Exactly. If you want more, go to uh, the Swiss Ramble uh, Twitter feed and, and check out the full thread. We have got plenty of the uh, reaction to it across on the Liverpool Echo website as well. Dave and Ian Doyle as well having written pieces around the uh, the sort of financial story around Liverpool. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Before we go, we do want to talk about Trent Alexander-Arnold, Theo, and the fact he was played in midfield for England against Andorra. What did you make of it? Um, I didn't watch it, so this is going to be an oh, easy brilliant. one to answer. Yeah. <laughs> hey, I did my England duty in the summer, mate. I was going to say you were now. at every game. I was, yeah, I, was, I, was, I was confident you were going to have seen it. Um, no, it's one where it's always been an ongoing debate, hasn't it? Trent in midfield, but he's the best right back in the world. And it's Southgate, I think he hinted, didn't he, before the Euros that he saw Trent as a midfield option for him. But England don't play the same way as Liverpool. Liverpool have got so many midfielders that whilst there was that initial debate when Trent was coming through and we're trying to work out what would be his best position long term, but then he just turned out to be an amazing right back. So it's one where it will be an option for their Liverpool one day, but don't need him to be there, do you? When you've got Curtis Jones and Harvey Elliott as the next generation coming through and you've still got Henderson, Thiago, Fabinho, Oxlade-Chamberlain, Cater, James Milner. They don't need him in this midfield. It's only when you get rid of Thiago, when you get rid of Henderson, you get rid of Milner and then, oh, we might not go and spend big on a new midfielder because we want to put Trent there because Nico Williams has actually turned out to be a decent right back. But for the time... It is very much, he's a good right-back, but he's got the attributes to be this uh, great playmaker in midfield, doesn't he? Because we know how good his passing is. We know how good his crossing is. He is better defensively than he gets credit for, but he's one of those players you can just play him anywhere and he'd do a good job. Um, it's not like Andy Robertson where you put him right wing back and Scotland fall apart. Trent is just a very naturally gifted footballer. But Liverpool's success has come from him playing in this right back role where he plays to his strengths. He can get forward, he can put those crosses in, he can be this playmaker. He's been said like he's Kevin De Bruyne at right back, yet he still gets those assist returns. Granted, he didn't last year without Virgil van Dijk's protection. Fabinho wasn't in midfield, but they've got those key cogs back now. So you can see the real Trent again. So, yeah, let Southgate have this little experiment. Let Southgate have him as this midfielder just to get him some game time. I don't think Liverpool fans care if he's playing for England or not. It gives them a chance to see whether it'd fit, fit this role long long term for them. But he's still best right back in the world. So there's no reason for Liverpool to change his position anytime soon. And I think that's why, on Merseyside at least, that conversation is maybe not as loud as it would have been a couple of years ago. Yeah, definitely. And Dan, I suppose... Jurgen Klopp may well have been right all along. 45 minutes against Andorra in midfield before being put back to right back. He might as well have come and played against us down at the pits and seen if he could hack it in the midfield. I don't know if he'd be able to cope with Theo Squires once he gets in, <laughs> once he gets in one of those corners with his, like a human threshing machine there. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I have to admit, I didn't watch the match either. Um, I was aware that they were going to give him a go in midfield. Uh, yeah, well, I, I think. It seems like one of the reasons for the, the, this, 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 this desire to do this is because, for whatever reason, it's decided he's second or third or fourth even in the pecking order at right back. Um, I think you know, what you want as a football supporter, I'm sure what Jurgen Klopp wants is 
players who are versatile that can play in more than one position. You know, over the course of a game, sometimes you know, even the course of a half. Um, as Theo said, you know, Trent's ability and his ability to read the game and, and dictate the game sometimes from the right flank, from the fullback position, means that he's, he's very well suited to how Liverpool play. Um, I'm of an age when I've seen England ruin or attempt to ruin certainly numerous Liverpool players through playing them in the wrong position or overplaying them or injuries or whatever. So I, you know, I'm a little concerned that I hope this doesn't become like a big national campaign to shoo him, to shoo him in at right back. But Jurgen Klopp, I think it's safe to say, will not be swayed by the media or Gareth Southgate or whatever kind of narrative comes on the back of this. He knows where Trent, he knows where Trent's best position is and where he's most effective for Liverpool. And I, I think we can enjoy seeing him um, at right back and obviously bombing forward and getting down that right flank uh, for Liverpool for quite some time. Yet I don't expect to see him in in the midfield for Liverpool for years yet, if at all. Yeah, no, Dave, it's just one of those, isn't it? Now then, let's wrap up the international football and, and get back to the club stuff, the good stuff. Yeah, I mean, the, the most interesting thing to happen in this international window was the uh, the COVID officials coming onto the... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the <hook> everyone. <laughs> I'm, the, I'm the dog that scored in Chile, so... Um, yeah, yeah if you've not seen that, check that out. That is brilliant. He might be offside, but he wheels away in celebration and everything. Yeah, great. Sign him up, Jürgen. Yeah, little flick of the head. Uh, yeah, leaves the keeper no chance. But yeah, literally, those are the two highlights in the international window. So let's just have the club football back. I'm, I'm all international out after the summer. Um, I had no no desire to see it back so soon. Um, but yeah, it's uh, yeah, roll on, roll on the next next uh, next round of fixture. Yeah, no, most definitely right. Liverpool, of course, back in Premier League action at the weekend trip to Ellen Road to take on Leeds United. If you want more of the financial stuff we've discussed today, do make sure that you sign up for this week's Blood Red Club podcast. It will be with Dave and Matt Addison talking through even more of the, the financial state at Liverpool and fallout from the transfer window. Just head to bloodredpodcast.co.uk, leave your email address and the weekly Blood Red Club podcast will find its way directly to your email inbox. But from myself, Guy Clark, Dave Powell, Dan Kay and Theo Squires, thanks for your time and company. It's bye for now. You've been listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.